Good morning, Abundant Life. My name is Scott Miller, and I am the lead worship pastor uh, here at ALC, and I have the privilege and the honor to wrap up uh, the seven-week series that we have been in called Little Stories, Big Picture. But before we jump into the message today, I just wanted to take a minute just to acknowledge that this is a little bit intimidating for me. And normally when I'm up on the stage, I'm surrounded by other talented worship leaders and incredible musicians that I get to serve with on a weekly basis. But today, uh, that security blanket is gone. And another reason that, uh, that this is a little bit intimidating is because of the incredible job that our teaching team has been doing, not just in this series, although, I mean, come on, Laura Hall, our student ministries pastor, Bryce Ginther, shout out to the Sandy campus bringing it last week, but not just them, the other teaching pastors that have, that have been leading us through this season in the church, pastors Aaron Walton, uh, pastors Aaron Baker and, and David Grigg, Uh, not just bringing powerful messages each weekend and their incredible uh, communication skills, but just loving our church so well through the season, taking on this task on top of the other jobs that they have here at the church, the actual jobs that they were hired to do, their full-time jobs. And not just them, but Pastor uh, Mike Howerton as well, who, who knocks it out of the park each weekend here at the church that he speaks, but also behind the scenes, the blessing and encouragement that he has been for uh, me and for our staff has just been incredible. And all that to say, I'm honored to get to lead alongside of them. And that brings us to today, where we are going to be spending time in the book of Jonah. Um, Probably one of the most popular uh, stories in the Old Testament, Jonah, uh, at least if we don't know the whole story, we know Jonah and the giant fish. And as I was trying to decide which Old Testament story I wanted to teach on, I landed on Jonah because, I mean, come on, it's it's four chapters. If you did not know that, it is only four chapters, very short, page and a half in most Bibles. But um, actually, the real reason is because I think Jonah has some lessons for us as a church that are very relevant to today. And so let's jump in. We're going to start by looking at Jonah 1.1. It says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked these people are. Now let us stop for a second. And I just wanted to give you a little bit of a backstory uh, on the Assyrians and their relationship with the Israelites. See, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria one of the greatest empires in the world. And they were not only known for their great power, but their great cruelty towards their enemies. They ruled by fear and oppression and intimidation. And in fact, the kings of Syria were known for boasting of this cruelty towards their enemies. And this is an example from one of the kings of Assyria. He says, I built a pillar over the city gate and filleted all the chiefs who revolted. I covered that pillar with their skin. Some I impaled on the pillar on stakes, some I bound to stakes around the pillar, and I cut the limbs off of the royal officers who had rebelled. Many captives among them I burned with fire. I took some living captives, and I cut off their noses, their ears, and their fingers. Of many I put out their eyes. These are the ones living. Pretty terrible people. And they had a special hatred for the Jewish people, a more subtle but painful cruelty. Because the Jews had such a strong sense of ethnic heritage and identity, the Assyrians decided not to obliterate the race, but to dilute it. 
And as they invaded the northern kingdom of Israel, they forced the Jews to marry the Assyrians and have babies. Evil stuff. And Jonah knew this. And this is who God wants him to go and to give this message to. And so we see Jonah's response in Jonah 1.3. It says, but Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Now, uh, I have a slide here that shows a picture just to give us some perspective of how far away Tarshish was from where Jonah was called to go to. Literally, this was the furthest away that they knew existed, like literally the opposite direction to the ends of the earth Jonah was going away. Now, can anyone relate to this when it comes to relating to our enemies? On a smaller scale in my house, uh, we are super competitive and we, we definitely have some strong feelings towards the teams that we love when it comes to sports. I have three boys uh, and my wife too. Everyone's super competitive. But we have some strong feelings towards those teams that we love, but we also have some strong feelings towards those teams that we do not like those teams that we would call our enemies. And as a, as a Blazer fan, uh, you, you might know who we would hate, and that would be the Lakers, right? That's an easy one. For, for me as a Giants fan, when it comes to baseball, uh, I have an easy hatred for the Los Angeles Dodgers. As a Niner fan, hating the Cowboys and, sorry, not to offend anybody, the Seahawks as well. In fact, one time I had a bet with a student here at Abundant Life. Um, and we were betting on who would get further in the playoffs, the 49ers or the Seahawks. And so I made a bet, thinking that my team would get further, that whoever lost the bet would have to wear the opposing team's jersey for a Sunday. Now, unfortunately, the Niners did not show up, and we lost the game, meaning I got to wear a Seahawks jersey. Now, we didn't go into details about what this would actually look like. And so what I decided is I don't want this jersey to even touch my skin. So underneath, while I led worship that Sunday, I wore a Niner shirt so that the Seahawks jersey didn't even touch my skin, which is ridiculous, right? Like super silly. But we can see maybe how Jonah, when something really matters, could have a lack of excitement or desire to go to Nineveh. I mean, he hated these people, and the Ninevites hated him and the Jewish people. And now you want me to go and preach to them? No way. And so Jonah flees, and you've got to think Jonah as a prophet. He would have known his, his scripture, right? So he definitely would have known that fleeing the presence of the Lord is probably not something that he could do. Psalm 139, he would have known this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, which is where we find Jonah, the far side of the sea, and God appoints a storm. And now Jonah realizes that the storm is probably his fault. And so he lets the men throw him overboard, sacrificing his life so that they could survive and, and, and potentially calm the storm, which is what happens. Um, and the men survive. But now we have Jonah drowning in the sea. And Jonah probably thinking, this is it. I, I'm, I'm going to lose my life for not following God's command. But God was not done with Jonah. See, God was committed to Jonah. He was 
after Jonah. He, even in the storm, was being merciful to Jonah and his grace and his favor was on Jonah, even when he was running and didn't want to do what God wanted. And so we read in Jonah 1, 17. Now the Lord arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And so Jonah spends some time praying, right? He's got some time on his hands and he realizes his disobedience and recognizes the mercy of God. And so he prays this prayer. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep, in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. See, God hears Jonah's prayer and he responds. We see in Jonah 2, 10. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah onto the beach. In some translations, it says he vomited Jonah onto the beach. You see, the storm, the fish, they were all a way of God getting Jonah's attention. God in his mercy, waking Jonah up. And I'm not saying that God brings all of the storms that we are facing in our lives. But what I think we can see through this story is that God will go through great lengths to draw us back to him. And so we continue to read. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And God in his mercy invites Jonah again. We see that God is a God of second chances, amen? This should bring us joy today. How many of you have ever needed a second chance? Maybe today, maybe this last week, thank the God of second chances. It says in Proverbs 28, 13, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. That's what we see with Jonah, and that's what God offers to us today. You see, God was was patient with Jonah. He didn't abandon him. He keeps seeking after him, and that is the beauty of the gospel is that God keeps coming after us because his desire is a relationship. And so no matter where you are in this place today, no matter what you have done, no matter how many times you have done it, God is saying, if you let me, I will forgive and I will forget. God is saying, if you let me, I will make it as if it has never happened. If you allow my son to take it, I will take that sin and that shame that you are dealing with and I will wash you clean. Second Corinthians says this, For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sin against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he has given to us to tell to others. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. See, at the end of the day, God is more concerned about who we are in him than what we do for him. And, and I believe that Jonah, uh, if he would not have gone to Nineveh, that God would have still got that message to the Ninevites. But God's desire was for Jonah to be a part of his redemptive story and his redemptive plan. And he has that same desire 
for you and for me. And so we continue in Jonah 3. It says this, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now and Nineveh will be destroyed. Wow, what a powerful message, right? Tugging on the heartstrings. No, it's actually kind of a joke, right? He doesn't, even, he doesn't even talk about God's mercy. He doesn't talk about God's grace. He doesn't talk about God at all. He is the OG street preacher, right? Standing on the corner, turn or burn, except he left out the turn part. No instructions on what to do, just letting them know that the wrath of God is coming. For any of you that have ever felt nervous or intimidated to share your faith or to share a message maybe that God has given you, and maybe you've worried that you might say the wrong thing, let this message that Jonah brings be an encouragement that God can use anything. No way this works, but we see the response. The Ninevites believed God, and they declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on the Lord. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? I love this part. God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that they will not perish. They did not even know if this would appease God. But we see God's response in Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, and he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. The Ninevites, right, they confess, and what they find is not judgment and wrath, but what they find is mercy. The Ninevites repented, and God relented, because God wanted salvation for the Ninevites, not their destruction. He offered them grace, the same grace that he was offering to Jonah so far through this whole story, the same grace that he offers to you and to me, the saving grace he offers the world. You see, God forgives and he, he understands and he loves a sinful people and he even loves a sinful prophet. Are we seeing the heart of God yet? Now, you would think that Jonah sees this transformation in the Ninevites, and he would add a change of heart. I mean, God uses him to save these terrible people. Maybe his heart had softened. Maybe not. There's one chapter to go. I was in a conversation last week with someone about this book, and they even mentioned, man, I wish they had just left chapter four out. Well, we can't do that. And I think that this chapter is there to be a reminder and a wake-up call for us today. So here we go. Chapter 4, verse 1 of Jonah. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Greatly displeased. This whole city turns back to the Lord. And Jonah is upset. 
he does not like this at all. In fact, he thinks that this is an evil act and he prays this to the Lord. He says, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You see, Jonah knew who God was. He had the right theology. He had the right doctrine. He had the right belief. He knew God's character in his mind, but he is not down with how God is functioning, especially when it's not his need. Even though he is fresh off experiencing the gracious and compassionate God this whole story. You see, God's grace wasn't a problem for Jonah when he was the one receiving it. I mean, it's been mercy from God the whole time. The storm, the fish, the second chance, and yet Jonah is still not happy. For most of us, right, mercy and grace aren't a problem when we are the recipients. But it can be a problem when we have to offer that grace to maybe those that annoy us or frustrate us or that we, we don't like those that make us angry, those that have have done terrible things to us, those who we would see as our enemy. And so we see Jonah pouting, and he says this, Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Since you, you didn't destroy them, God, like I wanted you to, would you just please destroy me? You know, I was wondering as I was studying, I wonder if Jonah and the older brother from the prodigal son story might have been best friends, right? I mean, they don't deserve this. Why are we celebrating them? They haven't earned this. Have you ever felt like that? Tim Keller says this, when you indulge yourself in bitter thought, it feels so satisfying to fantasize about payback. But slowly and surely, it will enlarge your capacity for self-pity, erode your ability to trust and enjoy relationships, and generally drain the happiness out of your daily life. Sin locks you in the prison of your own defensiveness and rationalizations and eats you up slowly from the inside. And so we see the Lord's response. And the Lord replied in Jonah 4, 4. Have you any right to be angry? Jonah still doesn't want any part of this. He doesn't want to be known for this. He wanted God's wrath. And it leads to a couple of questions for Jonah and for us. The one question is this. What are you known for? In the culture that we are in today, what would you be known for. Now, this might come as a shock to you, but the church in our current day and age does not have the greatest reputation. You see, Christians are generally known in our culture for all sorts of things. Intolerance, chauvinism, sexual and financial indiscretions, abuses of power, being judgmental. Heck, we invented cancel culture. We just called it boycotting. And I was thinking, what if a stranger who didn't have any other way than to get to know you or me, uh, than to go through our social media feed, right? To look at our Facebook, to look at our Instagram, to look at our 
Twitter, to see our posts and our stories, our, our comments on threads, what conclusion would they come to? Are we more known for what we are against, for fighting to protect our values, our rights, our comforts? Would they see someone who looks more like Jonah or would they see someone who looks like Jesus? Here's the problem. These, these platforms, they don't give us the ability to have conversation with people face to face, to hear someone's story, to hear someone's heart and maybe hear a different perspective. It is modern day stone throwing. Now, I can already hear it. I mean, I mean, Scott, we, we, need, to, we need to stand for truth. I mean, we, we can't act like these things are okay, these terrible evils that are going on around us. And I am not saying in any way that we, and there is never a reason to share a post or to post something that might offend. But I think a good question to ask before we post anything is this. Does this belittle someone? Does this demean someone? Does it dehumanize a people group or a person? Does it create an us versus them narrative? You see, truth without love is condemnation. And Jesus said, when the Pharisees were trying to pin him down on truth, that I did not come to condemn, but I came to bring life. You see, truth with love is compassion. And Keller defines it this way, real compassion, the voluntary attachment of our hearts to others means the sadness of their condition makes us sad. It affects us. That is deeply uncomfortable, but it is the character of compassion. You see, our disposition towards those other than us, right, those enemies that we have should be one of compassion because that is God's disposition towards you and me. Even in the midst of religious criticism, even in the midst of political criticism, that we would make the love of God primary. Because he loved me, I want to proclaim that love back, right? We're reminded all throughout the New Testament is while we were far away, dead in our trespasses and sins, right? The reminder, but remember, you were like them, right? You used to do these things, but now by the grace of God, we have been saved. Is that what we are reflecting? Is that what we are known for? Scott Sauls says this, once we draw a line and side with Jesus, we can no longer draw lines with our fellow human beings. It is no longer them and us. It's him in us. Galatians 3, 28 says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That, the invitation to us. That's the movement that I want to be a part of. That is the movement that we as a church want to be a part of, living out Philippians 2.4, not only looking out for our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that means that we have got to get to know people and that we have got to allow people to know us, that we don't want just shared values and ideas with people, We want to share life 
with people. And that is not always clean and tidy and perfect. But here's the deal. We are not a club. We are a family. And families are messy. See, God had chosen to show mercy to a wayward people in the Ninevites. But he was showing mercy to a wayward prophet as well. And we see Jonah's response in Jonah 4.5. Jonah went out and he sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. See, Jonah is still hoping for fire and brimstone. He didn't get it. Jonah couldn't see past his own judgment. He wanted his God to be wrathful towards these people. See, Jonah had a vision of God that he had made in his mind, and he was hanging on to that. But that is not God's ultimate desire. And maybe we do this at times as well. Phil Vischer, the creator of VeggieTales, said this a couple weeks ago. If table-flipping Jesus is our favorite Jesus, we've lost the plot. If Pharisee insulting Jesus is our favorite Jesus, we've lost the plot. If the Jesus who out of love for others laid down his rights and picked up his cross and called his followers to do the same, isn't the Jesus that we're devoted to? We've lost the plot. Every day when I walk out the door or log into social media, I need to remember the plot. That Christian doesn't mean little Rambo. It means little Christ. I'm on the cross with Christ. I die with Christ. I have the power to love my enemies with Christ. Remember the plot. And this is exactly where Jonah failed. He failed to realize how he was a recipient of God's grace, and he failed to offer that grace to Nineveh. But God again shows his mercy. And it says this towards the end of Jonah 4. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the vine. The one time in the whole book, Jonah is very happy at this vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. And again, Jonah is in this same spot. Just kill me, God. Just take my life. I am so angry. He does not have the ability to take the focus off of himself. He is more concerned with his temporal comfort or discomfort. And God tells him, Jonah, you do not have my perspective. And I pose that question to us as well. Do we have God's perspective? Do we see the world the way that God sees it? And now this is the very end of the book in Jonah 4, 10 and 11. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine Though you did not tend to it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? 
You see, God essentially says, you don't have my perspective, Jonah. Grace is my perspective. 120,000 lives have been transformed for eternity. And compassion is my bottom line. People are beautiful to God. God is telling Jonah, and he's telling us, I created those people, and I love those people. I want them to turn to me because I want them to be with me. I hate their sin, but I am in love with people. Those who are far away and those disgruntled prophets. You see, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. We all know this verse, for God so loved who? The world that he gave his son. And Jonah was surprised by the, God, by the grace of God. See, he was hoping for judgment and he witnessed grace. He could not imagine in his wildest dreams that God would have forgiven these people and loved these people. Pastor Mike Howerton says it this way. When Jonah expected God to boycott Nineveh, God bought season tickets. God's grace is scandalous. I love that quote. And that is God's perspective. And the challenge is to move our perspective to God's perspective. First Timothy 2 says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, not just those that you love, not just those that you agree with. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. We, I, need God's perspective. And in fact, starting next week, we're gonna be in a three-week series where we're gonna be talking about how we're gonna live this out on mission as a church, to our church, to our community, to the world around us. And so I would encourage you, don't miss that as we talk about what this is to live that out. But here's the great thing about Jonah. It just ends. That's it. Should I not care for this great city? End of the book. No resolution. We don't know. And I believe there is a reason for this. And the reason is that the book of Jonah really isn't about Jonah. In fact, in Matthew 12, 40, Jesus says this. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Jonah, three days in the belly of a fish to emerge proclaiming love. And I will spend three days in the belly of the earth to assure you that God's love embraces all. You see, the book of Jonah is a snapshot of God. God, who is creator and Lord, a God who says, I love you all. Israelites, Ninevites, Muslims and Jews and Hindus and Buddhists and Baptists and Catholics, I love Republicans and Democrats. See, God loved Nineveh, and that's why he sent Jonah. God loves the world, and that's why he sent Jesus. And through Jonah, we see his relentless, unconditional, unending, unyielding love for imperfect people like Jonah, like the Ninevites, like you and like me. 
And I hope that that would bring us some encouragement today, even on top of that challenge, that no matter where you are, no matter what you are going through, God's love is real, proven for you. And here's the deal. We don't know if Jonah got it. But I think the more pressing question for us today is, do we? And so I'm just gonna ask you where you're at, if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes. Not because there's anything super spiritual about that, but just for focus. And before we pray, I just, I want you to try to call to mind maybe a person in your life that you struggle to love. Maybe it's a, it's a person you just can't stand. And I want you to ask yourself this. Are you okay with the fact that God passionately loves them? So much so that God came to earth in Jesus to give us his own life and love as a gift, not just to you, but also to them. And if God made this gesture of generous love to them, then how does it inform how you should go on relating to them? Let's pray. God, you are a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger and rich in love, would you have mercy on us, God? For those that are far away from you today, Lord, would they see through this story how much you love them, how much that it's not about having everything figured out, but God, as they turn, that we would turn from maybe running from you, from maybe doing some terrible things, God. Would we see that you are a God of second chances, a God of grace and of mercy? And Lord, would we see that you will relent, God. Your desire is for us to be with you. For those that have been running from you like Jonah, or maybe God, those who have been judging others, would we see that same grace that you poured out on them, you pour out on us? Would you have mercy on us? Help us to embrace the way that you love, God. To give us courage to own our failures so that we can love our neighbors as ourselves. To share your compassion with our enemies the way that you are compassionate with us. We thank you. We love you. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.